Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. It is Wednesday, January 4th, 2023. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. This is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today, as always, we have a great show for you. In our second part of the show, we're going to have a conversation with Mr. Wyatt Parlow. Wyatt is from my home parish, St. Anthony's in Bryan, and Wyatt's a seminarian in the Diocese of Austin. We're going to talk a little bit about his call, vocation, and his journey so far. As always, I want to welcome everyone listening to us on KEDC 88.5 FM, Hearn, Bryan College Station, and also our listeners in Central Texas on KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena, Waco. And a shout out to our listeners in Palestine on KINF 107.9 FM. Our show this morning is live, so if there's something going on in your parish you would like to share with us, give us a call at 85-LOVE-RED-C, that's 855-683-7332. Don't hesitate to call. Now, I'm joined this morning in the studio by our president, Dennis Maka. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Deacon Mike. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Back at you. Oh, it is absolutely wonderful to be Catholic where we can actually stretch Christmas from Christmas to Epiphany instead of having to take down our decorations on the Monday after the 25th. Uh, I usually stretch mine to the baptism of the Lord, and that's my excuse for being too lazy to take them down. Well, that's actually when Christmas officially ends. Yeah. So So, uh, you're doing it correctly. Of course, this year it is uh, the Monday after Epiphany, so there's only one day left, so... I'm going to cheat and take down my decorations over the weekend, but so the baptism of the Lord is is earlier this year. It's not what? right because a, a Epiphany falls on a Sunday, and so they're not oh, going to. Gosh, yes. So the baptism okay. of the Lord is going to be celebrated on Monday. Awesome. Glad to keep them up there. There you go. Now on the phone, we're also joined by Deacon Robin Waters from our Lorena Waco station, KYAR. So, good morning, Deacon. Good morning, Deacon Mike. Good morning, Dennis. Hope you all are being blessed today. We feel blessed every day. Of course, I'm speaking for Dennis, so. (laughs) Indeed, I am as well. Glad to have you. Deacon Robin is our Director of Evangelization and Outreach, and so he has some things he wants to share uh, regarding some of the things that are going on specifically in the central Texas area where he lives. Uh, Deacon Robin, what you got? Well, first, I just wanted to also say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, New Year to all of our listeners and also just thank them from the bottom of my, of my heart for their awesome support last year. I'm still thinking back to our uh, benefit dinners in November. It was just a a blessed event where you could, you could just feel the love that we were... Uh, receiving from all of our listeners that came. And so just thanks to everybody for that. Um, in our area, we have a couple of things I wanted to mention that are really, really uh, interesting and hopefully you can attend. This Sunday on January the 8th, 
uh, Pro-Life Waco is having their second Sunday gathering. They're going to have a uh, delicious Italian buffet during the noon hour. Just five bucks for adults. Kids eat free. So come on out. They're going to have a great speaker. Her name is Claire Cole. Let me see here. Make sure I pronounce it properly. Colwell. <clears throat> yes, Claire Colwell. That's correct. And she is an abortion survivor and has written a book called An Abortion Survivor's Surprising Story of Faithfulness, of Forgiveness, and Redemption. So come, come and hear uh, Claire's story. Uh, they're going to be at the St. Mary's Church of the Assumption Church Hall in Waco. That's at 1424 Columbus Avenue. So come on out, support pro-life, support Waco pro-life, and hear Claire's amazing story. Another thing that's going to be happening on January the 17th, some of you may be familiar with Blessed Father Augustus Tolton. He was the first African-American priest in the United States. And there is a uh, play that's kind of coming through different areas of our diocese, and it's going to be at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Waco on January 17th at 7 p.m. And this is a live theatrical play. It's presented by uh, St. Luke Productions, which has been featured on EWTN quite a bit. So it's a very professional, well-done play. It's sponsored by the Columbiettes of Waco and the Diocese of Austin. And thanks to the generosity of the Baylor Soundings Project and St. Louis Catholic Church here in Waco, it's free, free to all. Nice. And that's something. Uh, if you, but we still, they would like you to get tickets because seating is limited. So if you want to get tickets, call 512-949-2486. That's 512-949-2486. Or you can email sacredheartwaco at yahoo.com. Yolanda Sanchez is the lady that's handling tickets. So, uh, yeah, take advantage of this. It's going to be a great event. And uh, like I said, this is a full uh, professional production. It's a one-man show, actually. But uh, hmm. but anyway, check that out and support that group. And, you know, they're taking donations. If anybody would like to make a donation, even though it is free, it's something that uh, there's costs involved. So please support them. Remind us again where and when. It is at Sacred Heart Catholic Church, Tuesday, January 17th at 7 p.m. So it's a Tuesday, January 17th at 7 p.m., Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Waco. Some of those one-man or one-woman productions are quite quite enthralling. I remember seeing uh, The Passion of the Christ by Doug Barry back back when yeah. he came through. At, at one point, he was at St. Anthony's here in Bryan, but I've also seen it on TV and we play it every year for Lent uh, on Good Friday uh, on the air as well. It's just remarkable, very powerful performance. So I imagine this will be as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Absolutely. Deacon Robin. Appreciate it. Yeah. One other thing I'd like to mention before I go is just to remind everyone to keep uh, Pope Benedict XVI in your prayers for the repose of his soul. His funeral is going to be on Thursday. Uh yeah, great man in our church. Mm -hmm. He did so much for our faith, for our uh, culture, our world. Uh, let's, let's assist him. We'll be broadcasting the Mass tomorrow morning at 1.30 a.m., starting live. It's a three-and-a-half-hour Mass from the Vatican, then also a special Mass from Washington, D.C., starting at 11 a.m. for an hour-and-a-half. Um, that's going to be from the Basilica, the National Shrine there. Yes, there is a great loss of wisdom in the church today with the loss of 
Pope Emeritus Benedict. Thank you very much, Deacon Robin. Appreciate you calling in. Uh, all right. God bless everyone. You too, brother. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up, and uh, Dennis, you can speak to this. We're gearing back up for Victory Sports. We are. We're back into our next season. Uh, basketball is co- going on now. Um, registrations have closed, but we are. Uh, the teams have been formed, and we're looking for a few more coach volunteers. If you have any basketball skills, any ki- working with kids skills, um, contact us now. Go to the victoryyouthsports.org website, and we're looking for parent volunteers, community volunteers to be uh, coaches for that. Our training is coming up like right around the corner the next day or two, and the practices start this Friday and Saturday. So, uh, yeah, we've got basketball, soccer registration also is open as well. And we're looking to expand into the outer area churches as well. So no longer just the Bryan College Station churches, but uh, anyone is welcome to come in from uh, our outlying areas. And then Waco, stay tuned. We're uh, just around the corner. We're looking to bring it into your direction as well. And just the responses from our programs in the fall. Yeah. I think that this is only going to build and the more kids are involved, the more fun it's going to be for everybody. We're asking people to take a leap of faith. If you've been involved at, uh, let's say, central sports or at other uh, city sports or other youth sports leagues, this is an opportunity to have a sports league that develops you not only as an athlete, but in your Catholic faith as well. And it's been a great evangelization tool for families that aren't Catholic so far. Um, We've had several families that have been very eagerly involved and, and love the beauty of the faith through the beauty of sport. So bring it on victoryyouthsports.org. Check it out and sign up and yep. uh, need some more coaches. Well, you didn't mention you have to have skills. So that leaves me out, but I'm sure there's plenty <laughs> of people out there that, or at least that ways bill. to teach kids to have skill. Cause I don't have any either. So, <laughs> so be it. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, uh, we usually talk about a saint of the day. Okay. And uh, today happens to be the feast of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Okay. And uh, she should be familiar to everybody um, because she is so important to the initiation of parochial schools in the United States. Uh What fascinated me about uh, St. Elizabeth is the fact that she was uh, born to an Episcopalian family. Matter of fact, on her mother's side, I believe uh, her mother's uh, father was a bishop in the Church of England. Wow. And uh, so she was raised devout Episcopalian. And uh, when she got married at age of 19 uh, to her husband— her husband became ill, and they were advised to move to Italy, where he passed away. Hmm. And it was there that she uh, became interested in the Catholic Church, converted, and coming back here to the United States, uh, joined a religious order. But shortly thereafter, she began her own religious order, uh, the Sisters of Charity. And she founded the first parochial school. And a parochial school is a private school with based in a religious faith. And, of course, that was the Catholic faith. 
And um, from there on began uh, spreading out. One of the things that uh, I found so uh, inspiring is the fact that she was one of these people that uh, once she decided on doing something, nothing was going to stop her from doing it. And um, she, when she started the Sisters of Charity of St. Joseph's, uh, they adopted the rules of the Daughters of Charity, which mm-hmm. were co-founded in France by St. Vincent de Paul. Okay. And so this was sort of her uh, model for her religious order. But one of the thoughts that I had when I was reading up on uh, St. Elizabeth is the fact that one of the things that has changed so much in our faith is the fact that hardly anyone goes to a parochial school anymore. Mm-hmm. Everyone pretty much goes to a public school, and a public school is not going to form you in a religion. And so we sort of lose out on that formation that used to be standard part of children's lives. Um, I remember a time when almost every single parish had a school. Yeah. And so kids were steeped in their faith before, even if the school only went up to eighth grade, but before they moved on to a public school, they were beginning to understand the importance of their faith in their lives. And that's not something that happens anymore. Yes, we have religious education, but that's not the same thing as going to school five days a week and having the opportunity to go to mass at school yeah. and things like this. So I think it's important that uh, we remember the effort that was made by St. Elizabeth Ann Seton to begin that because she had a reason for doing that, and that reason still exists today. And um, before we uh, move to our break, I did want to repeat uh, that we should all pray for the repose of the soul of uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Um, personally, I was absolutely fascinated by his writing style mm-hmm. and by the intellect behind everything that he wrote. And um, now, I've never been able to read one of his books without going back 10, 12 times to the same passage so that it finally sank in. But uh, the man was absolutely brilliant and a great, great addition to the church, and I do believe that one day he'll be a doctor. All right, we are going to take a short break. On the other side, we're going to be talking to Wyatt Parlow about his vocation. So we will see you on the other side. And we're back, and as promised in a second, we're going to be talking with Mr. Wyatt Parlow, uh, member of our home parish, St. Anthony's and Bryan, and a seminary in the Diocese of Austin. Wyatt, how are you this morning? Deacon, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Dennis, it's good to see you as well. It's been a long time. It's going to be back in College Station for a while as I finish the break and get ready to head back to seminary. So doing a, doing doing very well. So how difficult was it getting used to being 
away from home for these long stretches? Yeah, so I think with with any transition, it took me about a month or two to really to really get used to it. Um, it was my first time moving out when in 2020, so that did take some getting used to. But overall, like the seminary has has definitely become my home, and it's it's definitely the place I look forward to going back to each time each time I come home for a break. And uh, I, I've even started to love the drive back to Dallas on I-35. So it's definitely some things I never thought I'd be used to, but but I've sure have gotten used to them and, and I've actually come to to find a lot of joy in them. So it's been a good transition. Now, I understand enjoying the drive up to Dallas. I cannot imagine anyone enjoying driving in Dallas. It depends on the day <laughs> and it depends where I'm going. Like on Saturday, I always make a Chick-fil-A run when we're going to Chick-fil-A. Everything's all right. <laughs> well, that's because you have a goal that's worth Exactly. I've there got a great go. end. Um, now, we were going to talk a little bit about your vocation, but um, one of the interesting things that I find when I talk to people that have a call, be it to the priesthood, diaconate, or even religious life, I'm always fascinated in finding out what their faith life was like growing up. Would you talk yeah. a little bit about what was it like uh, as far as your faith life in your family? Yeah. So one thing for me that I want to stress now as, as we begin the conversation is is the, the normalcy that I think the Lord calls us out of. In other words, I think with most of my brothers that I live with in the seminary, and certainly for myself, the the call to seminary is not something that is it was was placed on my heart from a very, very young age. In other words, I grew up in a in a family where my parents were very strong leaders in the in the family home of they were proponents of the faith. They always went to mass on Sundays and they always took us with us and did an incredible job of, of forming us to to love the church and love the Lord. And I, I went to St. Joseph Catholic School from kindergarten through eighth grade. So I think that was an integral part of the foundation that I had. But I will say one thing about, about that, and especially with the theme of St. Elizabeth and Seton today, is that school laid a foundation for me and so did un- so many things that my that my parents did to form me in the faith that I never, I never discovered the value of until much later, and some things I still am discovering the value and the fruits of today. But I would say that going off the theme of, of normalcy, I would say that we were a very, I don't want to say typical because, because as, the, as the world moves on, the, the family who, who goes to church every Sunday and, and forms you know, the domestic church up, sometimes that's atypical, but but my family was a very, very steady, very consistent in going to mass. Um, no one, no one would have, no one in my family would have probably guessed that the Lord would call me to priesthood. Neither would I. Not in a bad way, just in a way that was uh, a wonderful surprise, a wonderful surprise. And like I said before, it was, it wasn't on my heart until college, actually. So. In fact, the Lord used my personality so well to call me because He knows I like to, I like to get things, get information as soon as I need to act on it. So He called me to seminary my freshman year at Texas A and M, 
And he did it just in time for me to actually like go through the application process and get accepted as a seminary for the diocese and in just enough time to be able to walk into the seminary the next semester or actually the next year. So it was a very interesting call, very interesting. But yeah, definitely, definitely not something I expected or was praying for the Lord to to call me to the seminary. I, I had uh, a lot of moments in my early, early college career where where I felt like I didn't know what the Lord wanted me to do. And I didn't ask him for a direction, really. I just asked him to to open my heart to do his will. And that's that's exactly when he called me to to go to the seminary. It was actually uh, on a on a connect retreat that they have here for incoming freshmen uh, to Texas A and M at St Mary's. So uh, a very interesting two days worth of of connect retreating, but definitely a very fruitful two days. And yeah, in the in the the speed of the way that all the steps worked. In other words, as soon as I opened up my heart, everything kind of fell into place. Um, Sometimes people ask me like, well, when you found the call or when you heard the call, what, what were your next steps? And I'm like, I don't know. I just started walking and then I kind of ended up in seminary. <laughs> uh, was there any sense of hesitation when you first sensed that this was the direction God was calling you? Did you at first go, eh, I don't know if I'm ready to do this? You know, a lot of people have that. But man, I was in a place of, of a lot of brokenness as I entered my freshman year of college. So I was really looking for the out. And, you know, I, um, as soon as I opened my heart to God's will, he kept giving me signs. So in other words, there was one night in adoration on the second day of connect when, uh, we, I was in the middle of St. Mary's Catholic center and it was packed. It was packed. It was bursting at the seams and, and we got up to leave and I was walking out in this herd of people. And I remember that this hand just came in front of me after I kind of felt that I heard the call. And I was kind of looking down, trying not to step over anybody or step on people. And I reached out to shook it and I looked up and it was Father Greg Gerhardt, who at the time was, was one of the associates at St. Mary's and later on became my vocation director. So after I had gotten up from adoration, I had, I was like, God, well, if you want me to do this, give me a sign. And then three seconds later in the middle of this crowded church, this random guy comes to shake my hand and it's, it's one of the priests at St. Mary's. And I'm like, I I don't know what this means. I don't know really what I'm saying, Father Greg, but I think I just heard the call to be a priest. And he got really serious. And like, he looks at me and he goes, come with me. And he, it was, it was so funny. I was like, I don't know what I just said to this guy, but uh, eventually we started uh, some spiritual direction and uh, discerned that it would be the the best step would be to to actually leave Texas A and M and enter seminary, which is in Dallas for me as I finish my undergrad. Now uh, I interviewed Father Gerhardt on my last show, and he has a fascinating story of his uh, vocation when it was affirmed that he was in exactly the right place. It wasn't till. His ordained mass when he all of a sudden realized right. all the pieces fitting together. and uh, But back to you. Uh, now, your parents apparently knew that you were going to the Connect retreat. So when you told them that you had heard this call, how did they respond? 
Yeah, so I actually didn't tell them for quite some time, probably a few months after that Connect retreat and that night. But I, I remember I, I told them separately because I wasn't really sure what to say or how to say it. I knew they would react well. They've always been super supportive. And I guess looking back, they reacted exactly how I'd expect them to react. Like I remember eating lunch with my dad and I told him, I think I'm going to seminary. And he, he doesn't even really give it a second glance. He just said, what do you need from me? Like, what do you need from us in that very supportive fatherly role? And my mom had a number of questions to ask, but I think, you know, by the way she asked them, she was interiorly and exteriorly very, very happy and joyful for me. But she is one to consistently leave it up to God, which which I have just been able to witness as a son, just to see your mom not push you in any direction, but to always pray for you and ask for the Lord's hand on your life and whichever way he he, he asks you to go, uh, to trust him. So that's just definitely been a huge fruit for me is just having someone who prays for me in such a way and just prays that God's will be done in my life. But they both, I mean, they've just been extremely supportive throughout this time. And even to the point where, you know, if the Lord calls me out of seminary, which is entirely possible and and it happens very often in seminary, you know, that's something they'll very much support me in as well. As well, Because the seminary, I mean, it's not a place where you sign a contract to be a priest. The seminary is a house of formation. And by by its namesake, seminary, it's a, it's a seedbed. It's a place where seeds of holiness are planted that they might one day thrive in the world. So just because our end is the priesthood does not mean that the men who enter seminary are, are destined and contractually obligated or in such a way to be a priest, which I think is a huge misconception about seminary in general. You know, people go to seminary to be priests, and it's like, well, men go to seminary to acquire or to reach towards the end of the one vocation we're all called to, and that's holiness. And I think that's something that's really not stated enough, especially in the church today. We're all called to holiness. And I think if you have that in mind, there's um seems like an even playing field. In other words, there shouldn't be any type of of competition between two people trying to get home towards heaven. You know, we're all trying to go the same place. I find it interesting that you mentioned, uh, you know, that the seminary isn't really aimed towards a specific goal other than holiness, because in my previous job for years, I worked with someone who had gone to seminary and discerned out, but it had still made an impact on his, the entire rest of his life. And so uh, when I was in uh, formation for the diaconate, when you first enter into it, the thought is that you're heading towards a goal. And then all of a sudden you realize that it's all about the journey, not the goal. You sound like this was something that you had already discerned going in, and that I find that interesting. So you were comfortable with the idea of going into seminary without those firm— Without certainty of being a priest, absolutely. Right. So, yeah, and, and for me, I think there was a healthy sense of humility by the grace of God going into seminary that said, you, you know what, God, I— you know, I know you're calling me to seminary, but I don't see how, you know, even to this day, you know, I don't I don't understand how you would call me of all people to be a priest. And I think that's okay because you at the end of the day you still go to bed with God, your will be done. 
And so, yeah, even today, and there's a there's a, a funny phrase, you know, or a saying in, in seminary formation and, and in, I guess, the priesthood as well, is that you never know you're called to be a priest until you're, the bishop's hands are on your head and you're, and you're being ordained and, you're, and you are ordained a priest. That's when you know. And I think a lot of things about seminary can be, can be translated directly over to marriage. In other words, you don't know that that person's right for you until you're married. And then when you're married, that's it. That's when you exchange vows, and that's when you know you are obligated to that person for the rest of your life till death do you part. And so it's kind of the same thing with seminary. I mean, you discern, you, in other words, metaphorically or analogically, you date, and then um, you walk the steps as they become apparent and clear to you. And then you go until the Lord tells you to move in a different direction. And then when he tells you to move in a different direction, whatever he says— you take as his will. I find it so interesting that you were talking about a seminary sort of leading up to the same sort of thing as marriage. And I would sort of uh, uh, line it with uh, an engagement. Absolutely. And the fact that until you actually are married, you have the option to discern out of the relationship. Absolutely. And I think one of the problems we have nowadays is uh, couples don't realize that the reason the church has marriage preparation is to assist you in that discernment so that you don't do something that you're not really intended to do. Exactly. And you might even consider marriage marriage prep the seminary for, for marriage in the dating period as well. They can both, you know, if you want to use the name, it's like... Yeah, dating is where the seeds of holiness are spread and nourished for a fruitful marriage. And, you know, uh, one, one person who's a personal, a personal, I guess I just love to read his work, I mean, is John Paul II, who's most famous, at least in my eyes, for his work in the theology of the body. And the theology of the body is so important and prevalent for the priest you know, and it makes that comparison between the priesthood and marriage so abundantly clear. In other words, John Paul II says the the meaning of the body is rightly called spousal. And that doesn't change when you're when you're then a and you take on celibate chastity. That does not change. The the way, the means by which you give yourself to someone, that's that's what changes. In other words, you give yourself entirely to the church which is the mystical body of Christ, which, I mean, for me, that, that's where kind of the, the hugeness of the call comes in and you kind of look at that and you go, oh, how, how in the world are you calling me to that, oh Lord? But one thing, one other phrase in seminary that has been probably some of the best advice I've ever had is we, we stretch ourselves that we can be surprised by grace, by the effects of grace. In other words, grace is very powerful. And sometimes it actually hurts to receive grace. And sometimes when we're in a place of pain and suffering, grace is that which allows us to see that we need to rely on God. And that can be very, very painful. But it also, in the realization that you need to rely on God, gives you the knowledge that he's in control. And when he's in control, you can do anything. So that gives me a lot of hope and a lot of joy in the vocation. 
even though at a lot of times, most of the time, I feel unworthy of the vocation, of the call, even to seminary, because it's a place where holiness has flourished. And yeah, sometimes, you know, you can feel like other people are better suited to to move along that path, but the Lord called me, so I'll, I'll take it. I'll accept, yes, Lord, fiat, as Mary said. To this day, if I serve at Mass, I have this sense that I do not belong there. And uh, it's especially, we tend to get distracted, our mind wanders and things, and when it happens to me, the thought is always, you should be better than this. And why did God call you to be here? But I think this is, God works with what we're willing to give. Now, I want to remind all our listeners, you're listening to the Red Sea Roundup, and this morning we're talking to Wyatt Parlow, a seminarian in the Diocese of Austin. Now, Wyatt, how would you describe seminary to someone who really doesn't know what it is? Yeah, I think that's um, a lot of times for me, it depends exactly on the person, but you know, most people, and myself included, even when I heard the call, had no idea what seminary was. Where is this seminary? Is that a building? Is that a place you go, you know, and you live in like a monastery? What What does that mean? But today I would just describe it very, very simply as um, a community of brothers who are all searching and striving for the same goal, which is holiness, as the as the documents imply and they say directly they're striving for holiness and it's a house of formation it's a house of formation for men who have heard the call to enter seminary and uh seem to in you know have heard the call to to the priesthood and so that's that's about as simple and i think is about it's about as true as it gets it's just got to be very simple it's a it's a place where the seeds are planted for holiness in one's entire life especially as a catholic christian now, uh, the Diocese of Austin has a fairly large group of young men coming compared to some of the other dioceses, but it's still very, very small compared to the need in the church. Now, what would you say to young men discerning a call to the priesthood who are hesitant to take that next step. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that got to me personally is that like, there's a battle in the world to be fought. So I think it's necessary that um, sometimes, and in, in for me personally, one, one thing that, that gets me going is a little bit of tough love. In other words, if you're a man, there's a battle to be fought. Let's go fight the battle. Let's go fight the battle against against sin and evil. But, I mean, also to be more gentle, you know, seminary, like I, I want to stress again, is the place of discernment of God's will. And so anyone who, who you know, feels the call to priesthood, but, you know, is is also under the impression that they'd be a good father in a, in a married relationship, like that guy, that guy should really discern entering the seminary too because this is a place where where you you learn what God has in store for you. And so 
Uh, yeah, just to, to stress again that when you go to seminary, you're not guaranteed to be a priest, and that's something you should take consolation in for sure. And I, I take consolation in it, and I'm already three years in uh, to seminary, so I take consolation in every day that the Lord could call me out, and I would be just fine with that because I know I'm doing His will still. And so I would say that yeah, if you are a man who's discerning seminary and thinking about the priesthood, I would say, yeah, come join the battle. It's a it's a noble fight. It's a fight with a lot of grace. If you want to purify yourself so that you can love God above all things in your heart, mind, and soul, this it's the place to do it. It's the school of love. Now, of your experiences in the seminary up to this point, what stands out? Yeah, I would say that going back to this phrase that I was told in seminary, we stretch ourselves that we can be surprised by grace. Seminary is a stretch and it is a fight. And, you know, each semester I find that I run into a lot of new challenges each time. Sometimes it's academics. Sometimes it's the goals that that formation has for me to to accomplish. And uh, a lot of times, you know, I feel overwhelmed and I feel tired and I feel weak. But I, the thing that stands out is every time I finish a semester and I look back, I see the work of grace and I see the work of formation extremely clearly. And that makes all those pains of growth so worth it. And so just to look back on my own life and see the power of formation and grace and the hand of God at work, that's what stands out most to me. And Another thing that keeps me very hopeful is that if the Lord does call me away from seminary to pursue marriage, I can just thank him for how much better a father I will be for having gone through seminary, for having said yes to the to the call to enter seminary. And so, yeah, just, and it's, it's a lot, yeah, it's very easy for me to, to just see the potential fruits in every area of life of seminary. So that's what stands out to me. And and uh, you can see that the process of seminary formation is not a worldly affair. That's the greatest thing for me. I watch it every day. I watch the progress, and it's supernatural in, in my brothers and in me. Which brings up my, my next question. Now, uh, you're going to school in Dallas, and so there's going to be seminarians from other dioceses, uh, mostly Texas, I assume, but... Uh, when you talk to other people that are in seminary, uh, do you all discuss your experiences and grow from learning from everyone else's experiences? Because this is something I found in formation. Right, absolutely. Yes, we have a number of dioceses. Yes, most of them are from Texas. We have we have the Diocese of Jefferson City, Missouri with us. We also have the Diocese of Nashville, Tennessee with us. So. Yeah, lots of guys from very amazing backgrounds and family lives. And yeah, I would say I would say that um I would say the best conversations just happen randomly in the hallways in seminary. We live in a dormitory. Um we're usually separated by classes. But I would say the best conversations definitely happen like in the hallways as as people are just passing through. Uh, there's there's always a lot of laughing going on in the hallways in seminary, and sometimes there's a number of pranks and shenanigans going on, but we got to love those. But yeah, more formally, you know, during the times when 
new men are oriented and they're and they're brought to the seminary. That's that's a lot of times when when vocation stories are shared, maybe after retreats or before retreats. Uh, there's a lot of time for retreats in the seminary. Like we take one weekend of recollection each semester, and then each year we do a week long silent retreat, which seems intimidating at first, but it's like a vacation. It's amazing. You get away from your phone and you just you get to kind of sleep and take naps whenever you want and do a lot of reading and some spiritual direction. So it's a sweet time. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, as you cultivate the personal relationships with your brothers, yeah, you get to know them on a level that that no one really gets to know them on, and that's really fruitful. And um, they're just a constant encouragement for your own vocation. And very quickly, the seminary gives... Um, kind of a picture of the identity of a seminarian and and kind of gives everyone the same perspective. And so it's really nice to be able to like go into anybody's room and they just be someone you trust to be able to talk to. And so that's, that's an amazing aspect of seminary as well. I want to re- again remind our listeners, we're talking with Wyatt Parlow, a seminarian in the Diocese of Austin. We're talking about his vocation story and a little bit about vocations in general. Now, we talked about some of the most impactful things, and what are some of the most challenging things about being in seminary? Yeah, so I think I kind of made mention to to what I want to draw from earlier, but like each semester seems to pose a new set of challenges to to overcome through grace. You know, the first semester for me was leaving home. That was That was tough, and I think it was tough on me, and I think it was tough on my family. Uh, but as you work through that, you know, um, and you see, man, you know, I got through that transition. That was a big transition in life. Then, and you, and you see grace work through that. Then, you know, you go, okay, Lord, um, when you're ready, I think I'm ready for the next thing. And, you know, there are, there are times in seminary where I actually, you know, pray like, Lord, your will be done, of course, but but stretch me that I might find my need for you. And I, I promise you, if you pray that prayer, the Lord will deliver. Um, it's a very bold prayer, but it works. And, you know, I think um, I think overall, one of the most challenging things for me is just the constant invitation to trust. Because I'm, I'm one to, to try and handle a lot on my own. And a constant invitation in seminary is... I know a constant uh, goal in seminary for, from formation to me is to allow the Lord into those things, even which you have no, um, there's no question you can control them and be successful in the things you do. For example, academics, if you're good at academics, still let the Lord inform your work. Let the Lord be present in your studies. Let the Lord be in every single aspect of your life, no matter how mundane so I think that's one of the constant challenges for me is like, Lord, how do I, how do I trust you with even the things that, you know, I, I know what I'm doing with? Um, yeah, and for me, I think um, also one of the challenges is to, yeah, and, you know, somebody's actually a great place now that I think about it to like teach you how to worry in the right way. And when I first entered, I would worry about everything. And my formator and my spiritual director 
would just be like, you're worrying way too much. And I'm like, yeah, but father, souls are on the line. Like I've got to, I've got to do all this stuff and perform perfectly. And, and I've got to be like the best seminarian. And he's like, nope, nope. And my spiritual director one time, he said, you know what? You're going to, you're going to have to compartmentalize your worry. In other words, you, I have never been given that advice before in my life, but he said, you are going to, you're only able to worry when you have the power to change something. In other words, if you're worried about the 10 papers you have to write, you only get to worry about them when you're writing the papers. At 6 o'clock when you're at dinner or whenever you're in prayer, there's nothing you can do to change those things. You're not going to worry about them. Don't worry about them. So leaning into the surrender also is, is definitely a, a challenge, but it's really fruitful. And the more you lean into it, the more you see the results of trusting in God. And that, in turn, allows you to enter into the surrender maybe more fully next time that the Lord asks you for your surrender. So, yeah, those are some of the challenges. But those, the, none of those challenges, I just want to repeat again, none of those challenges uh, end without an outpouring of grace. And that is like the main theme of seminary. Challenge, grace, challenge, grace. Speaking of challenges, uh, I'm assuming that, you know, public speaking was not part of your normal life growing up. No. <laughs> so how difficult was it for you to get used to the idea of speaking in front of people? Yeah. One thing I'll say is is the gift of the seminary I'm at, we study with uh, students from the University of Dallas. That's where we do our, our undergraduate work. So I will say that a lot of the confidence in speaking comes from a brilliant education and just being confident in what you know as the truth and being able to defend the truth, being able to present the truth in a way that all can understand. So I will say as as you as I work through my education in my in my college studies, that definitely helps me find a little more confidence. But uh, going back to the surrender thing, through surrender, I know that I will say what the Lord wants me to say and is is given me to say. And then one thing that just one fruit from this past semester is that even after conversations or speeches or presentations that I give and, you know, I think to myself, oh, I could have done that better or I didn't say that one thing that I really meant to say. Um, there's just been a huge invitation this past semester and guidance from my formators, the priest formators at the seminary, just to let that go and to know that even that, what I call a mishap, was in the will of, of God. Absolutely in the will of God. So um, now that I kind of accept and trust in the fact that all those things that I say, especially to large groups, are are by the grace of God making and bearing fruit and having an effect on people, yeah, it's it's a lot easier to get up in front of a big crowd and just start talking, crack jokes every now and then, and just to have a very lively audience. It's 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 become a really fun thing for me. Now, going to smaller audiences, how has your relationship with your family changed over the time you've been in the cemetery, uh, seminary? That's a great question. Um, 
there's definitely a lot more questions that come my way, which I take a lot of joy in, and I try not to be a know-it-all. I try not to be a show-off because that's not appropriate. Uh, but but I think that um, it's required a lot more gentleness from me, which has been you know a huge virtue that that I've been working on throughout my time in seminary. And um, yeah, maybe a little more patience, but. I'll say one thing just generally about smaller groups and even on a lot of one-on-one conversations, the best talking can usually be listening. So I I just like to listen, especially with my family and with one-on-one conversations. Uh, I talk with a lot of students at, U, at UD, University of Dallas. And yeah that is that is a great other side of the coin. In other words, the first side is is the speaking to big groups and that in that situation you're doing all the talking but as a person who's an introvert and I think most of my brother's seminarians are introverts I think that's where the biggest uh fruits of the priest come in is like the ability to listen to someone who's who's going through struggles and trials and and the pains of life. Um, so in other words, in my relationship with my family, how has it changed most? I just, seminary just made me a better listener. And, and I think that that's applicable for my family and most importantly, most importantly, my family, but also my friends as well. <laughs> definitely, definitely like the quality of being a better listener and being, being, being an active listener, being someone who can work to understand exactly what someone's saying that, that they might have someone they can relate their struggles to. That's awesome. This is one of the things that I was the biggest aha moment for me in formation. When you enter formation, you have this thought that I'm going to need to do this and do that and do this. And you suddenly come to realize over time that it is far more important to be there than to do there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's so interesting because I think sometimes in seminary you realize something like that. I'm sure in your diaconate formation you realize things like that, and you're like, how did I not know that? Because that's the foundation of my entire Christian life. In other words, look at the Mass. Like we offer the gifts as having already been given to us first by God. Yes. That's that's so interesting and it's like but it's 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 difficult and I I think uh it definitely requires understanding on the part of of one who understands it to have mercy and forgiveness for for um you know the time it takes us to learn those things in other words um those things we have as an aha moment in seminary and formation yeah um yeah, just to look at the mass, there's always tons of examples where where I meditate on the mass and especially uh the Eucharistic sacrifice and just think, wow, things that are that big can be so applicable applicable on my individual level. And that's amazing. That's yes. amazing. Yeah, but to think yeah, and, and the model for the Christian life is like a lot of people, and myself included at first, I'm like, I have to give to God before I receive anything. You know, I have to earn something. I have to merit something. And um, 
you know, even going down to like baptism, like infant baptism is a great thing to point out that our first encounter with God is a reception of something he gives. And our offering of ourself to God is something he first gives us. He first gives us everything we have. And the fact that when we return ourselves back to God, that it bears fruit, that's very powerful. Yes. That's very moving. So in other words, you, you offer the bread and wine that God has already given you, and God affects the grace of that becoming his body, blood, soul, and divinity. That's powerful, and that's worth meditating on for life. And, you know, if you want to bring that system down to the individual level, you know, God's giving me my strengths. I offer them back to him in hopefully some humble service, God willing, as his priest. Just maybe someone else will reach heaven with me by his grace. And I think that, you know, when we look at the sacraments of initiation, the beginning of the Christian life is technically all receiving. Yeah. We get something. We're not asked to return anything till after we've received. Right. And I think this is, you know, the thing that, you know, again, formation seminary, the idea that, you know, I need to give something. No, first I need to receive something in order to be able to give it. And you've said it several times in the interview. It's all about grace. Right. It's receiving that grace in order to have something to give. Yeah. And as someone who's, I guess, I guess brought up and has even formed my own mind to think that I always have to be one to give. I always have to fight. It's a bit of stoicism. I think it's common in the world. And I have to tell people all the time, you know, I, I just, I, I ask people and I re-ask myself this question every day. Like, are you fighting to give God um, what you think you've got on your own or what he's given to you? Because that, what you've acquired on your own does not exist. And yeah, even though I say these things in this interview, it's a constant battle for me every day to remember that that which God has given me is the only thing I can give back. Yes, I find that... uh I'm a whole lot smarter at telling people things than actually doing it myself. Yeah. Now, we're almost done with the interview. So, um, again, I want to end a little bit with, you know, the diocese is about to begin a push for vocations. And so, again, just you reassuring people that, the call is not scary in and of itself, that we sometimes make it more scary than it is. So what would you share with young people considering a call to the priesthood? Yeah, I would just say, as as in you know, correlation with the theme of this whole interview, the call is all grace and uh, the call is the call is the one thing that's I remember I can remember the moment of my call to this day very clearly, as clear as it happened. We never think of comfort coming with surrender. And all it takes is one surrender to God's will. However that looks for you or for me, it was just like on a kneeler in adoration. And I just said, God, I'm done with my life. You take it. It's yours. I give it to you. 
And yeah, people think when you surrender, that's uh, kind of a sign of, of weakness or like you submit yourself to the will of another. But when you see that the will of the other is the all good, all knowing, all powerful God. Yeah, that's that's when you, you can receive some comfort. That's when you receive comfort itself. That's when you receive love itself. So I would just say, um, no matter what your preconceptions are about surrender and God, never be afraid to surrender everything you have to God. Um, he'll do everything for you. And maybe just one other piece of advice, stay very close to the Psalms. I would say stay very close to the Psalms. I mean, all of scripture, but for me personally, I think, you know, every time I'm in some random mood, I always look through the Psalms because there's always something God through the psalmist is telling me or like allows me to uh, express what I want through the Psalms. So don't be afraid. Thank you, Wyatt. Uh, Again, I want to thank you for being here and sharing with us about your vocation story. I also want to thank everyone for listening. And next week, we'll have another episode. Remember to tune in for that. Until then, when considering the many ways in which you might share your time, talents, and treasure with the people of God, always round up.